From the pinnacle of the media landscape, this is Market Edge. Join your host, Larry Weber, as he discovers the answers from analysts, entrepreneurs, and technologists who are preparing the blueprints for the future of marketing. Hear from those who are taking us to a new age of social media, e-communities, and the blogosphere. blogosphere. Now, please welcome your host of Market Edge, Larry Weber. Hi, and welcome to Market Edge. I'm your host, Larry Weber, chairman of W2 Group, a global marketing services ecosystem organized to help CMOs in their new role as builders of communities and content aggregators. I'm really excited today uh, that we'll be talking about one of my favorite topics, the future of the World Wide Web, with Steve Bratt, who runs the W3C Consortium, an organization that develops specifications, guidelines, software, and tools to lead the web to its full potential. The World Wide Web Consortium is a forum for information, commerce, communication, and collection understanding of the web. Steve joined W3C in early 2002 and is now its CEO. Prior to the World Wide Web Consortium, Steve held leadership and research positions within industry and government and served on scientific and arms control delegations. In 1997, he was named coordinator of the Comprehensive Nuclear Test Ban Treaty International Data Center in Vienna, where he had responsibility for establishing the data center, global communications infrastructure, and standards for data exchange between more than 300 worldwide sensors and 170 nations. From 84 to 97, Steve led research initiatives, first at Science Applications International Corp., and then as a program manager at Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, or DARPA, to develop advanced concepts for real-time sensor monitoring, intelligent analysis, and international data communications. Welcome to Market Edge, Steve. It's great to have you here. Well, thanks for having me, Larry. First, um, you know, it probably would help a lot of our um, listeners to get a little context of the World Wide Web Consortium, sort of when and how it began and, and why it began, and to sort of bring us just up to speed of today uh, and, and what the typical work has been at the, uh, at the consortium. Sure. It would be my pleasure to give you a little bit of a background. Uh, of course, the Internet has been around for many years. I, I guess it really was invented in the mid-1970s, um, became available for use in the late 70s, and... Um, the Internet is the technology upon which the web sits today. But that technology was around for a number of years and, and used pretty heavily and increasingly so by scientists and engineers and people in universities. And, in fact, in my early research as a student at MIT and then uh, my early career, we used the Internet quite a bit for sending around some of the arms control data you were talking about. But it really was the birth of the World Wide Web and the invention of the World Wide Web by Tim Berners-Lee, who sits right next door to me here in my offices at MIT. Well, say uh, hi to Tim for us. I, I will do that. I know, you're, I know you're a good friend of his and worked with him back when the consortium actually started. Yeah. And I think the motivation for it, st- for it starting in the first place was the growing popularity of this World Wide Web thing, which all of a sudden made this geeky techno communication channel called the Internet put a, a friendly face on it so that people could interact with uh, and use the Internet in a very 
visually oriented way. Instead of typing in all sorts of strange brackets and control characters, all of a sudden they had a, a visual interface that they could uh, look at and view uh, using their computers and, uh, uh, and a mouse and, and be able to click on, on things and, and pull up some really useful information. And, uh, and to pull up this information from places all over the world. So as everyone knows the story. It, it seems like ancient history, but in fact it was really only 15 or so years ago. Uh, Tim invented the web in 1989, put up the first web server in 1990. And I guess with when Mark Andreessen and his colleagues at uh, University of Illinois uh, uh, developed the Mosaic browser that became the, 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 it was a browser that was really kind of fun to use. People started uh, using it more uh, normal people around the world to share documents and pictures and all, all sorts of things. And um, but it didn't take long before people both inside uh, industry and outside realized they really needed to standardize this technology that Tim had invented. Um, and really what standards are are just uh, forming an agreement on how to do things. And it's 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 really amounts to a bunch of people also appreciating that there's a, a greater value in agreeing on a single approach for something than there is to competing by uh, taking some approach and, and taking it off in different directions. Now, at the time when the World Wide Web Consortium was established in, in 1994, um, the primary people trying to take the web off in different directions were were uh, the organizations were Microsoft on one side and, and Netscape on the other side. Netscape being, of course, the company that Mark Andreessen uh, founded. Uh, when he took the Mosaic browser onto uh, sort of the more commercial world, and Which was even those co companies appreciated the, the fact that, that 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 there was a value to trying to standardize this technology. So that was one of the reasons why the W3C was formed. Yeah. And who are the members at you know 3WC? And, and you know, are there a lot? Are there a few? Do they have to spend a lot of money? Uh, what's the membership like? And well, members that we have, we now have 440 members of the World Wide Web Consortium, and they include virtually all of the largest uh, technology companies in the world on every continent. Um, I, I'd be embarrassed if I named them all, named them all off, and then would take up the rest of your show. But you can imagine all the big players uh, in the space are involved in W3C, as well as um, an interesting, interestingly large number of of companies who don't sell web technology but are heavily dependent upon it. So we have a large number of the of big pharmaceutical companies who are working here, and I could tell you more about what they're doing later if you're interested. Uh, we have companies like Boeing and Chevron and others who, are, who, uh, who depend so much on the technology that they want to be here at the table with the big vendor companies in order to ensure that their requirements are met and also to learn a little bit about what's coming out of our consortium in terms of standards so they can prepare their their businesses for the advent of these new standards and take advantage of them quickly. So uh, you know, that's, I think that there's a lot of reasons why people come to W3C, sometimes to influence the direction of future standards, but often other times to make sure that their requirements are met and to get an early, early, early view of the, the, the good work that, that the people are doing in W3C. Is so it I really mean, 440 members. We actually have now 21 offices around the world. And last time I counted, and this is really important, is a... a we have a fairly, we have a, a good-sized staff of, of really leading technologists, but it's only 70 people. Um, we have about we have 1,500 web technologists who are working in W3C's 60, 60 working groups now. 
from representing many of these member organizations as well as invited experts from the outside. So there we have a, a real large and growing uh, cadre of people who are helping to develop the standards for the future of the web. You know, I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the membership, but we can come back to that. The all these people. What are what are? The, I mean, if you had to name the five most important things, maybe maybe that's the wrong way to put it. But the the five things that are taking up the most time and that might be of the most interest to your to your sponsors or your members. Is that something that comes to mind, Steve? Well, certainly, and it has varied. In the even in six years I've been here, we've seen. Um, when I first came, in fact, it was right when web services were were very hot and and. Uh, Companies at that time uh, were looking for a place to do the standards work, and, and W3C was where they brought all the sort of foundational standards for web services, things like SOAP and WSDL and other kinds of acronyms that many of your listeners may know and many may not. Um, what, what, I'd say the areas that are hottest now are kind of an interesting mix because one of the interesting areas that's hot is an old area called HTML. And um, HTML group was reconstituted last year to work on something we're calling HTML5, which is going to integrate uh, a lot of the innovations that people have been uh, coming up with uh, on sort of the, the web that everyone knows and loves, uh, some of the innovations that support things like uh, the web 2.0 technologies, a more interactive web, a better integration of video and graphics. And so uh, one of our biggest working groups, in fact, the biggest working group, is the HTML working group. So that's an old technology that's still incredibly important to the world's communication and commerce, and that's a hot area. Another hot area uh, uh, is an area that uh, I think is going to be very important in the future um, is the area of the semantic web. Maybe we can come back and talk more about that later. Some people are already calling that Web 3.0, and uh, that's, that's an area that... Of all the things we're doing now, in my estimation, and I'm not the world's foremost prognosticator, but uh, if that continues to grow and if it continues to, to succeed, could have the biggest potential to change and disrupt and improve the, the, the web that we know today. Another area that's really quite popular is the whole area of uh, um, web on everything, um, mobile Mobility being one of the key use cases of that, and making sure the web will work on your mobile phone, uh, but also looking at other opportunities to leverage web on things like cars, uh, in uh, on factory floor devices, and um, being able to communicate between devices. Uh, some people talk about the ubiquitous web, and we actually have an activity working in that area. Uh, lots of other work going on in areas like graphics, uh, in areas like making web accessible to people with disabilities and an aging population. So as you can see, we have, as mentioned before, we have about 60 groups working on things, and those are broken down into about 23 different areas. So quite an exciting time to be at W3C. I'd say very active, uh, very competitive, but very cooperative, um, and a lot of promise for uh, people see a lot of promise in the web technologies for the future. You know, a lot of people, um, I'm going to want to come back and talk a bit about the semantic web, but the a lot of people are talking about uh, right now is rich media, at least in, in my circles and businesses. And, you know, are the sites of these businesses going to increasingly be 
you know, video in nature and, and highly visual, and the consensus seems to be yes. Is, is that one of the areas that a lot of these people are working on is this, you know, um, this development of, a, of, of inclusion of far more rich media uh, in the Absolutely. web? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a really important area, Larry. Um, we, in fact, had a successful workshop hosted by Cisco last month in, on the West Coast called video on the web. Um, and the idea there was, of course, we know videos all over the web. And we'd say, well, what do you need to talk about that for? But up till now, uh, video is largely a, some, a box on a web page. And there's a lot of promise to better integrating the information and the, the video itself, the information that the video is conveying with the rest of the web, being able to click, for instance, on a video and get information about the thing you've clicked on. Um, uh, being able to uh, have videos that work across, the, you know, offered by various providers, whether it's the, the YouTube's or, or, uh, or Yahoo or anyone else, and be able to have those things interoperate with, with other systems and be able to uh, connect them in various ways and describe them. So uh, there's a lot of excitement about the future of video on the web and really making it what we call a first-class citizen of the web. And then other things, of course, uh, follow from that, like voice and and uh, audio, like we're we're doing now, and um, so rich media definitely is very important. And in fact, we're revamping our own website in the near future to to incorporate more rich media, uh, more video and audio, uh, and integrate that better with uh, the other information we have on our information which rich website, uh, and to, to to make what work we're doing more accessible to to people. The um you know, before we get back to Semantic Web and some of the other things after a, uh, a break, I thought I'd just ask one more question about the membership. Um, is it mostly corporate, or is there government involvement or academic involvement as the web is increasingly important to, you know, sort of, you know, global politics and, and other issues facing, you know, planet Earth? We have a, a good mix of, of members, and that's one thing that makes it interesting, but also I think that makes the consortium more valuable. Um, so we, we like to think we're a, a broad open table, uh, open for for a variety of uh, people from different backgrounds and organizations. So we have about, last time I looked, about two-thirds of our members were commercial, and about one-third are from nonprofits, academia, and government organizations. I, I believe there are about a couple dozen government organizations, um, not uh, from, from all over the world, uh, including Asia, uh, Europe, and, and the United States, North America. So it is a good mix, and, and you do, I think that's a healthy thing because, of course, the web serves everyone, and it's very important that it's uh, uh, not driven by anyone, any one sector, and that the re results that we produce are going to be valuable to everyone. The, uh, one of the, the, it's not really a criticism, but one of the discussions over the years has been uh, from outside America, that the web is is a little too U.S. centric and a, a little too American. Is is that legitimate, or is the consortium, you know, um, helping to make sure it's a it's a, a truly uh, agnostic web? We certainly believe the latter, and um, I could see where the impression might be that it's biased westward. Um, because its origins were were in Europe and then uh, and, and grew 
fast, fastest in the United States. I mentioned before we have 21 offices around the world, and the last four that we've opened were India, China, South Africa, and Brazil. So it shows uh, at least our commitment to to expanding the inclusion of people and organizations in the rest of the world, and including the developing world, uh, as we develop the future web technologies. Thanks, Steve. Uh, we're going to take just a short break and come back to learn about the future of the web with my guest, Steve Bratt, who is the CEO of the World Wide Web Consortium, or popularly known as W3C, and uh, we're looking forward to it. We'll be right back. Market Edge will continue in just a moment. Mr. Scott, I can't get any more information onto our website. I'm doing the best I can, Captain. There's no more room on the server. It's going to blow. Evaluation, Mr. Spock. The logical answer is Lunar Pages. Reputation, reliability, and legendary 24-7 support makes Lunar Pages the host to cling on to. Did you say cling on? Aye, Captain. Sign up at LunarPages.com and get $700 off coffee cup software absolutely free. If you call, they will answer. Lunar Pages it is. Beam us aboard, Mr. Scott. For out-of-this-world web hosting, Lunar Rocks. Sign up for web hosting with LunarPages.com and use coupon code LUNATICS to get $28 off. Are your domains working hard enough for you? Now, park your portfolio at RevenueDirect.com to maximize your earnings on traffic. With RevenueDirect's proven domain monetization service, you'll experience better payouts, more options, and smart optimization. Sign up free now at RevenueDirect.com. It's that easy. RevenueDirect. Make more money. Period. Hey, what are you reading? Revenue Magazine. It keeps me up to date on everything in performance marketing. Yeah? I get all my information online. <laughs> I don't see a computer next to your boogie board there. Well, I've got a regular magazine here. <laughs> Revenue Magazine is the only hard copy magazine that covers affiliate marketing techniques, search technologies, online fraud prevention, and interactive advertising, branding, and marketing. My magazine's got pictures. Revenue Magazine has everything for online marketers, affiliates, merchants, agencies, and networks. And you can read previous issues, blogs, and more at RevenueToday.com. Wow, mine's got a centerfold. Revenue Magazine, the performance marketing standard. For more information, go to revenuetoday.com. Purse Strings with Maria Retan. Hi, I'm Maria Retan, and each and every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern on Purse Strings, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country, the 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending, the woman. Live broadcast Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the Advertising Channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Learning how to monetize your domains, zero dollars. Listening to affiliate marketing tips on your iPod, zero dollars. Getting the latest search news on your cell phone, zero dollars. Listening to Dave N. talk about garlic breath, well, worthless. WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. From the pinnacle of the marketing landscape, we now return to Market Edge. Once again, here's your host, Larry Weber. Welcome back to Market Edge. This is your host, Larry Weber, and I'm here today with uh, Steve Bratt uh, with a fascinating conversation around the future of the World Wide Web. Uh, Steve, CEO of W3C Consortium, or the World Wide Web Consortium, 
And uh, as he had said earlier in the show, with uh, you know loads of offices and loads of people around the globe working on what some people uh, uh, say is one of the most important inventions of uh, of all time, if not the 20th century. Maybe we start there, Steve. Is that overblowing? Even though I know uh, you know you're running this uh, organization, but uh, would you put it right up there? <laughs> well, I'm, not, I'm no technical historian. Uh, and I, I, I do. I can at least see, say that I lived through. I lived through almost half of the last century, um, and, it's, and it's definitely an important invention. Uh, Tim Berners Lee was, I think, credited in Time Magazine as being one of the hundred most important people of the last century. So that's a, a tribute from another organization who probably knows more than I do. I know that I can't imagine. My kids can't imagine a world without the web. Um, I'm always impressed, even though I've been here for a while. When I walk around and see on posters and buses and advertisements, you can't find an advertisement without seeing a web a web address www dot something, uh, and uh, and it certainly has made information more accessible to more people around the world than any other invention. Uh, in fact, that's a as we talked before in the last segment, uh, a very important part of our future is making sure that the web technologies become increasingly important to people in, in the developing world, uh, just as they've helped people in the in the developed world over the last decade the um you know vision that uh tim now sir tim berners lee has had was you know of just that of something that was accessible and something that i have always described um especially in my latest book is as more social in nature and we sort of had a period between 95 and you know maybe 2005 where you know, advertisers really tried to almost hijack the web, you know, and take away a bit of that, you know, social context or nature uh, uh, that is so powerful about it. Is there, do you have any thoughts about, you know, sort of that from a future perspective? Where does, you know, advertising or marketing fit in a web that, whose true vision was to be far more information and sharing in its, in, in its nature? Wow, that's a good question. I, I know you you are much more qualified to answer that than I am. <laughs> In fact, I appreciate your your book, Marketing to the Social Web, but something we've we've read in, internally and uh, are looking at how to how to essentially advertise and to market ideas in a way that's uh, as useful as possible to the people who are who are trying to learn about those ideas or who may find value in them. And um, and I think that's the way certainly things seem to be going. Is that there's a the, the best kinds of advertisement are the, are the kinds that that come from uh, real people's experience and testimonials. Um, there's issues there, I think, uh, if for the future, and these are something we didn't talk about in the last segment, are issues of trust and building right. trust networks. And um, these are all things that, could really change the nature of advertising, I suppose, in the next decade. Um, if we could make it easier for people to get information and even advertising and uh, marketing information from, from people and networks of people that they trust. And I think we're seeing things moving in that direction, as you, as you well know. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that goes. Well, you know, that brings up a, a nice tangential, you know, question, which is I have heard a lot about, actually, but... Um, across town from you is the, you know, the Berkman Center uh, at Harvard Law School. And 
they talk a lot about trust, but also this idea of an identity layer for the web and, mm. you know, building out these networks so they are, you know, it's uh, completely transparent. Is is that something that, that the consortium's involved in as well, as looking at that sort of identity and trust layer in a web? That's something we're very interested in. Uh, we're I, I believe probably any any solution that people could come up with, and people have been thinking about this for a long time, will likely be based on our technologies. Though we don't we don't have any groups particularly looking at trust, but we're working looking at a lot of components that would be necessary for it. So we're we're doing work, for instance, in security and privacy. And when you talk about identity, you can't talk about that without talking about privacy. Right. You're trying to build up build up uh, information again talking about getting information from people or organizations that you trust um, and how can you protect the, uh, protect the information that people have, how do you protect your own information, how do you protect your identity, how do you manage multiple identities in different circles that you, you, you're surfing on the web. Uh, these are all really, really fascinating problems and uh, areas of, uh, of interest in terms of research. In fact, Tim Berners-Lee is doing a, a lot of uh, research and development work here uh, with his uh, sort of MIT hat on, uh, on on areas of the whole interface of the, the computer side of the web and the human side of the web. And so these issues, of course, of identity, trust, of policies uh, are all very, very important in, in that area. Well, now that you brought up Tim again, tell us a little bit, a little deeper about his idea. You know, we constantly are seeing him quoted about the next generation of the web, or is, could be web 3.0 to people, but of the semantic web. Just, if, if I had to explain that to, you know, somebody that isn't very technical, what, what, what is the semantic web, and what is that next few years that, that Tim's really talking about? Yeah, that's a good question, and it is a, it is a tough concept. There's absolutely no, sh no one should be ashamed of not understanding the semantic web, because it's, it's, it's simple, yet it's complicated. Uh, so my simplest explanation, and I think many in the community are using it now, is if the, if the original web is a web of linked, linked documents, the semantic web is a web of linked data. So uh, a good example might be if, uh, in the current web, if you saw a web page with Steve on it, uh, you, you could guess that when you click on and it was underlined, the word was underlined or highlighted in some way, you'd know there's some kind of a link behind there, a hyperlink. And you might suspect when you click on it, you're going to get something about me, but you don't really know whether it's going to be uh, a link to my a document uh, describing me, a link to my bio, a link to a picture of me, a link to my resume, a link to uh, that would bring up an email, uh, you know, the start of an email message to me. In the semantic web, these things could be much better defined, and, and there could be a linkage between some, some notion of, of me, Steve, the person, and lots of different kinds of information on me. And so there could be a link that says, Steve has an email address equal to steve at w3.org. Or it could be Steve has a picture. Here, here's a JPEG picture. It could be Steve has a resume. And, and this information could be, I have an address. I have, uh, I have an open ID. I have uh, some kind of a, a computer file that describes uh, my, my friends and my relationships. Um, so these, the semantic web allows you to really more explicitly link things together. And on top of that, there's a whole bunch of really cool technologies that are being developed that allow you to use this linked data. Um, linked data alone doesn't do you a whole lot of good. 
it's kind of like a database, a relational database system without a query language. And so, in fact, we have a semantic web query language now uh, called Sparkle, a kind of cool name. We also are developing uh, some rules languages so that allow you to do some, with all this cool relational data on the web, now you can start putting together some rules, like if, if uh, Steve's resume contains the word uh, Oracle, then assume he's an expert on Oracle and think about him for a job there or something like this. So you can start putting together inferencing and, and other kinds of chaining um, uh, logic uh, based on this, this semantic web, this web of linked data. And a lot of other cool things happening now, um, a lot of projects popping up, most, almost all of them outside of W3C, starting to really use this semantic web. And uh, some of the biggest companies in the world, in fact, uh, down to, uh, down to uh, small academic research groups are finding that this concept of a, a semantic web allows you to do some things that are really hard to do other, in other ways. So I don't know if that, that helped to get you into the, into the idea, um, uh, but I'm happy to take any more questions I can to clarify. No, no, I, I think that's pretty good. I think one of the things our listeners would be interested in is how does that play with our current sort of software vendors that we're comfortable with and, and, that, we, and that we play with and or that we work with? I mean, does... Is, is, the, is the whole semantic web agnostic to open source or Linux or Microsoft or, you know, or is it, is it you know, that kind of uh, melding that is going to create Web 3.0? Well, you know, the, the original, before the web, uh, there's always going to be a tension, I think, between people wanting to keep silos, as people call them, uh, and being able to open up. Uh, your information and data, and there's potential big value to be had, I suppose, in either way. And now, before the web came along, and we were talking about the history of the internet before, there were silos created that were really, really useful. And people had AOL accounts, people had Prodigy accounts, people had CompuServe accounts, and these silos were really useful. It helped people to get actually start making some use of the internet before the web was around. But um, they the organizations and companies that, that provided these products, you know, kept their their customers within that nice silo. Uh, it was really difficult, for instance, for an AOL user to get information from from the Prodigy had on their website, on their website, for example. I'm sorry, on their on their internet site. Uh, the web opened that up. So, uh, uh, yeah, there's going to be some tension, I suppose, as we open up our data. And again, we have issues about privacy and protecting data that shouldn't be world available. That maybe is available to limited a more limited um, group of people, access control, as people say. So, um, yeah, there will be a lot of interesting tensions there. It will be really interesting to see how um, the big and small companies, well, how big companies take advantage of this new technology if they do, and I believe they will. In fact, some are. And then also what new, what new companies might spring up uh, that will start taking advantage of this. For example, if we do have information on the web is better defined and the data on the web is more accessible, you might imagine the whole area of search uh, being turned down its head, and uh, uh, be a lot easier to, to explicitly find what you're looking for. For example, some people don't think this is that's going to work, uh, so um, uh, we'll see how that all goes. Well, but yeah, I say that, that we, one thing I've seen in Semantic Web from the day I got here till now is very few big companies were working in the Semantic Web when I first got here. Uh, HP may have been one of the, the few, and I don't want to slight any others who may have been there. Uh, now we have a lot of large companies that are 
working in our semantic web working groups. And, in fact, we have a whole working group that's focused on healthcare and life sciences, which includes some of the biggest pharmaceutical and healthcare companies in the world are, are working in that one, for example. So this is a big change from a few years ago. Um, we're really in the stage where be, we're beyond innovation, uh, getting close to the end of the early adopter stage, and getting to the point where if it's going to really take off in the adoption cycle, um, I think we're going to see some things happen in the next uh, year or two. Well, you know, it's just so fascinating because another way to look at it all is that it, it, the web really has become an innovation platform and engine because, I mean, I'm reading the New York Times the other day and to, to read a headline like, you know, Facebook is it the Google killer, you know, and, <laughs> you know, Google's only been around not even 10 years. Right. And you, you talk about turning search on its head, well, you know, what happens when I don't want to search the Google way and I like, you know, I want to find out who else stayed at that hotel in Texas before I book my reservation, you know, and start. That's a good example. There are a lot of cool services around like TripAdvisor. There's services like LinkedIn and Facebook that deal with uh, more personal information. There's services, um, geographic services, and these things all uh, great thing tools like the various maps tools out there, Google Maps and MapQuest. And, you know, wouldn't it be great if these things could interoperate better? You know, I can just drag something from one application from my Facebook and just drag it onto a Google map, or I can take a, uh, a city name from a Google map and drag it into TripAdvisor and get information about things. If these things were all more interoperable, how much easier life would be for the, the, the users out there. I, know I'm trying, I was trying to plan a trip to New Jersey last year, and I just wanted to find a, a hotel that was within a walk to a train station that I could get a train into Manhattan for a meeting there, but I didn't want to drive. I like to run in the morning. I wanted to find a hotel that was near a, a place where I could go running. Uh, I also had my daughter was going to college, goes to college in New Jersey, so I wanted to be not far from there. It took me hours to find a hotel that seemed to satisfy this information because I had to look on six or seven different websites at all different kinds of maps and different kinds of directions, and I was plotting them all on a, you know, on a map. And even when I got all that done, everything worked out okay except for my hotel was right across from the state penitentiary. And, Rahway, New Jersey. Anyhow, other than that, but you know, those are all things that should be, are, be easy semantic web queries because every one of those things I was trying to do were, were rooted in the idea of, spa of space, of, of geospatial information, you know, latitude and longitude. That would have been an easy thing to do if the semantic web were working and were being employed by all those, uh, by all those uh, services. So that's, that's the kind of thing I hope that I can come back to when I plan a trip next year to New Jersey, <laughs> that I'll have a, a series of, of, of vendors out there who realize the value of opening up their, their data in a way that can make it interoperable, right, perhaps with even some of their competitors as well as other, other services out there. Oh, I'm, in, I'm in your boat, too. Hey, that was a fast half hour, but before we sign off, uh, where can people go if they're interested in learning more on their own about the, uh, the World Wide Web Consortium? Yeah, so we'd be very happy if people would go to www.w3.org. That's our website. Um, if you're interested in uh, at the very top of, the, of that web page, you'll see uh, some links to information about our activities, about our technical reports, including our standards. If uh, anyone's interested in joining W3C or learning more about how to join, you'll see a link on uh, Join W3C, and um, people are also welcome to to contact me or W3C uh, as well. Steve, um, thanks so much for being our guest today on Market Edge. Steve Bratt of the World Wide Web Consortium, 
which is the organization that develops specifications, guidelines, software, and tools that really lead the web to its full potential and has hundreds and hundreds of sponsors from big, big companies, governments, et cetera, and really is helping us move to Web 3.0. Steve, thanks for taking the time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. And that's it for today at Market Edge. Thanks, everyone in the audience, for listening. Uh, tune in again next Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern Time to www.webmasterradio.fm for another exciting half hour on the future of marketing technology and the web. This is Larry Weber, your host. Thanks again.